Aging as a woman brings in all these things that I think are complicated and bring in misogyny even more. So it's like as soon as you think you've tackled it and you've gotten down with your gender and you're proud to be a masculine woman, you start aging and you're like, oh my God, like I'd rather be a guy. Like it's like, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like you cannot accept the gift of who you are. It's so hard. That was Amy Ray. And this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss the challenges and triumphs how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music a better space for everyone. Most will know Amy Ray as co-founder and one half of the iconic Indigo Girls, a duo she formed with Emily Saliers when they were just teenagers in Georgia. For the past 20 years, Amy Ray has also been a prolific solo artist, and she just put out her 10th album, The Incredible If It All Goes South. This in the midst of a super busy touring schedule this year with Indigo Girls, who are now edging towards their fourth decade together, with 16 studio albums to their names, half a dozen of them gold and platinum albums and Grammy nominated. But Amy and Emily's legacy is just as much about their incredibly vital role as queer trailblazers and their tireless devotion to political, social and environmental activism. Dating back to 1993, when Amy and Emily teamed up with Native leader and activist Winona LaDuke to co-found a nonprofit organization called Honor the Earth. And over the years, they've been involved in many other causes such as gay rights, women's rights, indigenous struggles, gun control and the anti-death penalty movement, among others. It was this aspect of the Indigo Girls legacy that was honored this year at the Americana Music Awards ceremony at the Ryman Auditorium as they were presented with the Spirit of Americana Free Speech Award by their old friend, Brandy Carlisle. The following morning, I sat down with Amy Ray at Soundstage Studios in Nashville, just a couple miles down the road from where she recorded her new album. We talk about feminism, her journey with feminism in music with the Indigo Girls, and a whole lot more. Amy Ray is our guest this week on Shiro's. It's such a delight to have you. It's way overdue. And what an awesome time to be doing this on the advent of the release of your album, If It All Goes South. This is great. In Nashville, seeing you here. I just saw you in Massachusetts. It's yeah. like yeah. awesome whirlwind. You know those moments where you feel like there is definitely the universe at play. That's what I felt like last night when I was sitting in the Ryman and watching you and Emily. By the way, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. On the Indigo Girls being honored last night at the Americana Music Awards. Thanks. Incredible. Thanks. It was nice. Yeah. And, you know, so I was watching that and watching the two of you play and seeing Brandi Carlisle introduce you and her introduction was just absolutely phenomenal. Listeners, if you have a few free minutes to go online, I'm sure it's somewhere on YouTube to, yeah, to was, watch. It, it was, was uh, very yeah, moving. I think I texted her, I left her a voicemail and I talked to her on the phone afterwards. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, it was so on point in an activist way, you know, not like patting myself on the back kind of right. on point. It was like, 
she pointed out some things that we wanted to say and we didn't have to because she did it. Which is the best possible scenario. Yeah. And so when I got home last night and I was, you know, just making sure that I'm dotting my I's and crossing my T's, getting ready to talk you're so to you. Good at this. And I was thinking like the full circle moment of this, right? It, I'm getting goosebumps right now. So this is your 10th solo record. Brandy Carlisle was on an album of yours at the very beginning of her career, which I believe was also the Indigo Girls' 10th album, believe it or not. Whoa, that's weird. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm, tr I'm, tr I'm trying to synth it, synthesize like this in, a, in an easy way. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, that's how I roll. I know, I know, I know. I was going to say. I, I got it. an 11 11 tattoo. There. Come on. So, Brandy was on the final track of Despite Our Differences on a song called Last, Last Years. Yeah. And that was the same album from which They Won't Have Me came from that is now oh. on your solo album, Whoa. Reimagined. <laughs> yeah. Did I break it down all you right did. for you, you Amy? Broke it down. You broke it down. Yeah. That's crazy. Talk to us about putting that song in the context of the rest of this record. They won't have me sort of like the weird child of the record. Because <laughs> I wanted to redo that song because I felt like, for me, it was still relevant. I was still feeling those feelings lyrically about being in a place that I love so much that doesn't necessarily love me back all the time, mm. which is the very rural North Georgia town I live in, very white, big Hispanic population, but everybody's segregated. So anyway, I was like, let's redo this song, but we wanted to just have fun with the process, I guess. And so we did it live. And I guess the thing is it starts out fully acoustic and then we switched to electric instruments and it was a bit of choreography because we went live to tape which means you also have to be changing the input structure in the control room while everybody's changing instruments. So you had to rehearse it a lot. Digitally, you can just make it happen. But like when you're doing it live to tape and you have to use the same tracks for your acoustic and your electric because you only have 24 tracks, you have to change everything. The mic lines, the input structure, the gain structure, the compression. So in there, they're doing all that. And out in the studio, we're just doing all our thing. And it was just really fun to record it like that, you know, because it was like a, a challenge, right? But the spirit of the song came across better because it went from this very pastoral vibe, almost Rin Fair, to like this very angry, strident, you know, Russ never sleeps kind of vibe. And we recorded it. And then Sarah DeRose had come in to do another song live with us called A Mighty Thing. But after we did that, we were like, hmm, there's like 30 minutes left. Do you mind just putting one more track down? So she put a mandolin part on top of what we had done. And Allison Brown played banjo on They Won't Have Me. So it's got her playing these crazy things. And then Sarah comes in and sits right on top of that perfectly. Sarah DeRose is a genius, you know. So it made the song something that I guess I really wanted it to be that. For me, I never was quite there, I had wrestled with how to do that song when we first recorded it with the Indigo Girls. And then I came to it with this band because you don't know what you're ready to do and not ready to do. And sometimes you do it before you are. So it was the right place this time. I mean, of all the Indigo Girls songs, <laughs> right? Like in your catalog, was there something that triggered the thought like, you know what, this one? Well, I think because I was thinking about like what song could we do really differently but not take the melody away or redo all that stuff, but the spirit of it to be more fulfilled, completely evolved the way it should be. And that's the one song I felt like with me and Emily, we hadn't, I mean, Mitchell Froome is an incredible producer, but it, it was kind of like at the end of our session and we just sort of like learned it and then banged away at it and that was it, right? And I was like, there's something more in this song. And Jeff, my guitar player, and Brian, the producer, also had pointed the song out too. And he's like, I think there's something more in this. And this particular Amy Ray band, which we've been together about nine or 10 years, we like to do things that you can jam on and yeah. 
everybody's highlighted or whatever. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. the whole record is not like a solo record. It's like a band record. You know, it's really about the band. Yeah. So for me, this song represented that. is our guest today on Shira's Radio. The new album is called If It All Goes South. It's her 10th solo outing outside of the Indigo Girls. And by the way, happy anniversary to Stag. Oh. That's another milestone, the 20th anniversary. I mean, it's funny when you're in this game as long as I'm going to say we have, the anniversaries are starting to stack up. We're getting but, old. But yes, I mean, <laughs> but you know, it, it occurred to me last night when we were at the Americana Music yeah. Awards that I'm finally starting to understand what elders talk about when they say how much richer uh, life becomes because you have all of these frames of reference. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, it starts to feel like a much richer stew. And I wanted to get your perspective on that, looking back, that moment where you first stepped out on your own outside of this very successful band that you had to do something of your own. It was about collaboration at that point, too. I had an indie label. We had put out about 60 records of other people, and it had been focused a lot on punk rock and garage folk and stuff that was on the left side of things. And so I was very interested in all these indie bands that I really liked, and the Butchies started opening for the Indigo Girls, and I was like, let's collaborate. And then we did some songs together, and then I was like, well, I want to do a song with the Rocketeens, and I want to get Joan Jett in here and Kate Schellebach and Josephine Wiggs from the Breeders and kind of do like a punk project. And then it just happened, and I wanted to tackle things that were more around gender and sexuality in more of a strident kind of direct way and a singular focus. Because whenever Emily and I do things together, we automatically color each other's songs. And that's the beauty of it, right? But it's like if I write a song, like I wrote like Lucy Stoner's and Emily was kind of like, I don't know if I want to do that song. You know, at the time she couldn't get down with it. And now she's like, oh, but I was being, you know, now she wants to do it but because <laughs> she's so awesome that way. So it was like that kind of thing where I think there were singular topical things that I was like, when we sing together, we just, it merges everything, right? Mm -hmm. And this can't be merged because it's so specific, you know? So that was part of the thing too. And then I just had fun doing it because I really like to carry my own amp and pack the car myself and I like the process. And this gave me an outlet, you know, for that, like go on tour in a van and play sweaty rock clubs and, you know, create yourself. It's fun. You seem to be somebody that thrives on that. Even when you're describing how this album was made, that can't be the first time that you've gone live to tape. All the country stuff is pretty much live mm -hmm. to tape. This one was even more like if there's a string section, we're playing at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, the other one, we would put the horns on later, that kind of thing. Right. But yeah, this is the most live. The other ones were live too. But the difference being on the other ones that we transferred it to 
This is nerdy, but we transferred it into <laughs> I love pro, we transferred it into Pro Tools to mix it, right. which is a different thing, and it also opens up more tracks. Sure. So you get tempted, you know, to tune things or change things that you know that you cannot do if you're mixing to tape. This record we mixed to tape. So the whole thing is kind of what went down is what happened, mm. Mm. <laughs> for better or worse. No, 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 for better. I was going to say you can you can really feel it as well. Yeah. Why don't you take us to the next track? Whatever you want to play. God, I can't. It's like kids. I can't pick one. Okay. All yeah, right. Whatever well, you want. Anything. Sure. Okay. Well, I wanted to talk about some of the collaborators on this album, and of course because of where I'm sitting in this whole Shiro's world and wanting to see as many women credited on everything made me so happy to see so many women as your featured guests on this album. You have obviously Brandy that we already spoke about, Sarah Jarosz we already spoke about, and I'm with her as well with Aoife and Sarah Watkins and Alison Russell, yeah. who just took home album of the year last night. I'm just such an enormous fan of hers. Yeah. So maybe we could talk about Tear It Down. Yeah, sure. I mean, I had put out Tear It Down. It's a song from the perspective of a white Southern person that grew up in the 60s and 70s and 80s like I did. I was born in a segregated hospital in 64, and my dad was a doctor there. It was Grady Hospital. It was a public hospital, but it was segregated. And I look back at my life, and I think of all the things that I didn't know what were going on and the ways that I want to heal the legacy of racism in the country. And I used monuments and songs and movies sort of as the, like to tear it down, all these symbols of racism that we have, because I have always been tempted by those symbols to take them in and keep them as part of my history, you know, because I was so schooled, not by my parents, but by society and my high school to like be a rebel and have the Confederate flag and just didn't understand what it meant when I was a kid, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to undo all that, right? And I've been undoing it my whole life, you know? So I wrote a song about it and it was really inspired by a project called Project Say Something from Florence, Alabama, where they were actually working at getting this monument taken down and replaced into a contextualized into a historical like the cemetery and it was an activist there Camille that I was working with who was amazing so I kind of wrote it for them and then put it out but then I wanted to redo it and have Alison Russell sing a verse I just wanted another voice in there you know and and I wanted her voice so <laughs> I cold called her said please come sing for me to which she said the way she said yes which was awesome because <laughs> I just, the woman is so busy don't you know that old Dixit land more than dirt roads and simple ways. Tear it down, tear it down that ragged cross and I don't guess that we deserve our day. Tear It Down featuring Allison Russell, and that comes from Amy Ray's new solo album, If It All Goes South. It's her 10th solo outing. As you were talking about unpacking the racism that you grew up with, the generational racism, your fourth generation Southerner, I wanted to talk about feminism and intersectional feminism and where your own personal journey with feminism has gone in music. 
Yeah. I mean, when Emily and I started, we were in high school and then we were in college together and playing in Atlanta. And a lot of these women that were such mentors to us, they let us play during their breaks and sort of took us under their wing. So we were very mentored by women. But it was interesting because they weren't all like outspoken feminist, self-identified in that way. Mm -hmm. And they were maybe feminist, but they were not willing to be separatist, you know, which was a whole thing for us to understand. We weren't politicized, you know, so we didn't understand this need for a space that was all women, all women led, all women workers, all women performers like Michigan Women's Fest, right? And we struggled against that at first, like, like our own sort of internalized misogyny. We were kind of like, we can't play a show where only women are there or not, men are not allowed, I mean, that's what we kept saying. It's like alienating. And we had to learn and come around on that. So I really had to be schooled, you know, by some awesome mentors, mostly at Michigan Women's Fest and people like the Butchies and Team Dresh and Bikini Kill and all the Riot Girl bands. And so that took some, for me and Emily, little suburban white kids, you know, scared of, you know, our own home. We had homophobia. We had misogyny. We had it all, you know, right. and we had to learn. And Michigan Women's Fest was formative for me in that journey. And then I played there solo and then Emily and I played there together. And we really were like, oh yeah, this is why we need these spaces. It's not like leaving somebody out. It's like giving yourself a space. There's so many other spaces that are like patriarchal, right? We need our own sometimes to feel safe, right? So we really learned that. And then I dated for about five years, a wonderful person, Jennifer Baumgarten, who's an amazing intellect and writer and she also was another mentor for me and, and Gloria Steinem. And they just really made me think more. I mean, because I have so much gender dysphoria around being a woman and my body feels wrong half the time. And But I don't really want to be a guy. You know, I'm kind of like a mixture of the two. And it's hard to honor the woman part of me sometimes because it can be so messy when you're getting older and you're wrinkly and, you know, whatever. And men age gracefully in society for some reason, you know or they're seen to, right? So there's this self-hate too. Aging as a woman brings in all these things that I think are complicated and bring in misogyny even more. So it's like, as soon as you think you've tackled it and you've gotten down with your gender and you're proud to be a masculine woman, you start aging and you're like, oh my God, like I'd rather be a guy. Like, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like you cannot accept the gift of who you are. It's so, hard. it's so hard. And so it's a constant thing. I think it's a constant growth. But if I see like mentors that are like, especially in the indigenous women's community, oh my God, some of those women are just so great at being in their body and being who they are. The elders that I have that are in their seventies and eighties. And it's just like, if I could just have a drop of that confidence, uh, not even confidence, but like grace of just being in yourself I'd be so happy, <laughs> you know, like just with myself, I'd be so proud. But those women, those matriarchs, I can be around them and I can start to understand myself even better because I can look at myself honestly and be proud of it and not be like, oh, you know, wrestling with this stuff so much, you know, that I always wrestle with. So I think to me, it's like if you can have those mentors in your life in the feminist way, you know, especially like women of color, especially seem to have this corner on the market of like being in your body. I don't know why it's just so cool, you know? Mm -hmm. So I just try to learn constantly. Right. And I think feminism is a huge part of that. It's a movement that's important still. I think it's good to learn how people define their own feminism as a way that people don't get scared to call themselves feminist too. 
Because I think if you understand intergenerationally that like, it's okay to be a feminist in this way or that way or the other, then people don't get like, I'm not going to call myself a feminist. Because people do that. Yeah, I know. And, And it's okay, but they believe it firmly. But I think it's because they feel a limitation or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you don't need to. Yeah, exactly. Somehow along the line, feminism became a bad word. I'm not exactly sure at what juncture that is. I'm still sort of unpacking that. I think there's different reasons, but I think the feminist movement was so owned by white feminists at at a point. And the conversations around reproductive freedom and stuff were very geared in that way. And we've just now started to come around I mean, they've been trying for a long time for the feminist movement to, and I mean, Michigan Women's Fest did it, like yeah. to try to be like more uh, diverse and inclusive. And, and intersectional, and, and yeah. Intersectional and looking at why someone in this other culture would feel a different way about, you know, public health issues and infant mortality rates and all these things. And I think you can't have a conversation about feminism with just white people. So true. So I think some very political, you know, in the anarchistic kind of left-wing political crowd were mm-hmm. like... We can't own that word because it's not working for us anymore. Post third wave even, right? right. Fourth right. wave or something. Right. So what wave are we in now? We're in fifth, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to ask my ex-girlfriend. Yeah. She was such a thinker, Jennifer Baumgartner. She has a great press called Dota Press. And her analysis of feminism is like, whoa. She's a glorious Stein and protege. Yeah. And listening to you talk about Michigan and we were talking about Lilith Fair yesterday. Yeah, yeah. And it's been so interesting doing the Shiro's project to talk to women of different generations and different genres and different backgrounds about their perspectives, both on feminism, but also on the need to have women-led spaces. The need for visibility and the need for us to feel safe is still so present. Mm -hmm. So I was curious too about your perspective in those ways, you know, it's like not a past tense thing. No, women led spaces and women on the other side of the state, you know, the engineers, the guitar techs, the producers, mastering engineers. I feel like there's this ongoing need. It's just, we are not there yet. We are so far from being there yet. And so it doesn't mean we're not making progress. It just means that it's still considered this trend that has a backlash. Every time we get somewhere, there's a backlash. You know, Lilith Fair was great. And all the radio stations would say, well, we can't play Lilith Fair bands. It was like a catchword. Mm. And, you know, it's like we have to get to the point where there's not a backlash for people of color, like in the country music world or women, gay women, trans women, trans men, making progress without there having to be this equal amount of fight back to it, you know, and we're just not there yet. But it doesn't mean we stop, you know, like we need to support like soundgirls.org. We move the needle, like all the rock camps for girls, IMA, Institute for Musical Arts and up in Massachusetts. There's so many great places where girls are learning these skills. And I truly believe it's changing things because I can tell you from starting when I did when I was 15 to now, there are more women guitar techs. There are more women engineers, more women producers. It's not enough, but these institutions that are women-led, that are trying to change things, are effective. And so they need to be supported because I can see them at work. And it used to be like, if you want a female guitar tech, you find someone that's willing to do it and you train them. And then they stay with you for 15 years. And that's the one woman guitar tech in the whole industry. Yeah. Right? And now it's like, there's a lot. We just need to hire them. We need to hire them, but people are. Like Claire Murphy's with Brandy. Ours is a man right now, but we had Lisa Sullivan for about 20 years and, and she's working for the chicks now. There's like five or six people that are pretty well known 
yeah. that are rotating. Yeah. But we need, you know, 25. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. As you were talking about how it was, how it is, and we've come so far, but we still have so far to go. When Brandy was talking about the doors that you opened for her, for us, were you able to take that in? <laughs> Seriously, though. I can I take mean, it in, but I believe in the collective. I see the collective. You know, I don't see one person opening a door. And there are so many things that were going on at the same time that we were opening the door for Brandy. You know what I'm saying? That were keeping the door open for us. Mm. We can't open the door if someone's not keeping our door open. I mean, it's, you don't hold the door open and then let it go, you know? So like Joan Baez was still keeping the door open for us, even up until right before she retired. And people like Cheryl Crow and Bonnie Raitt and Kathleen Hanna, for God's sakes. I mean, people that are like still talking about it, right? Yeah. So I really, it's hard for me to take it in, not because I think, oh, it can't be me. I'm not that, you know, it's more like, y'all, it's a collective and we all need to take credit at the same time because there are all these people that lifted us up. Think about our audience. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that held the door open. I mean, we wouldn't even have a career. And all the things that we think about with activism, with gender, with sexuality, with intersectionality, those are all things that we learned from people in our audience. Seriously. Because I'm a very private person, so it's not like I like to always be talking to the audience. But like, People that we know, that we've known forever, that went into lines of work that have to do with social justice, that were in our audience, came back around to show us what they were doing and taught us these things. And it's like, we didn't learn them just by reading books, you know? I mean, those are important, but like we learned them from people in our audience. And that's a collective. You know, we couldn't hold the door open for Brandy if REM hadn't held the door open for us, right? Like Michael Stipe. I mean, it's a thing yeah. and it doesn't work if it ever stops. So you're beholden to keep it going. It's an ecosystem. You know, you have to keep nurturing it. That's yeah. such a beautiful way to close today. And we got a place yeah. that way to go yeah. out. Yeah. Thank you for writing a song for Rita. Yeah. Amy. Rita Houston, the Maverick. The right? Maverick. Yeah. My sister, my mentor. Yeah. She was a mentor to many people. So Subway, is, that song is kind of from listening to stories about Rita and her antics, <laughs> you know, on the town. And my experience with Rita as someone that I felt like could always see the musician, regardless of their gender or sexuality, saw the core of who you were, took that stuff in. But it wasn't like, hey, I'm playing your song because you're gay or I'm not playing your song because you're gay. It's like I'm playing your song because I think it fits. You could always trust that. So if she didn't play it, you were like, all right, I better write a better song. You know, <laughs> it's for real. <laughs> so like I respected her so much. And also in this song, I'm thinking about myself as a young queer discovering New York and being like, oh my God, a kid in a candy store, <laughs> you know. But yeah, this was for Rita Houston, the great Rita Houston. In the geminate shower, you flew away, throw right in the sky, the maverick queen of our galaxy. Pleasure to have you. Yeah. Thanks once again for being with us on Shiro's Radio. Thank you. I love this. May this be the first of many. Yes. 
Many, many thanks again to Amy Ray for being with us and for giving me the perfect song to honor my radio shero, Rita Houston, this week for what would have been her 61st birthday on September 28th. There are a few artists more significant to Rita than the Indigo Girls and Brandi Carlile, so to have them both on a song for her is so meaningful and so meaningful to have Amy Ray with us this week. Her 10th solo album, If It All Goes South, is out now on her own Damon Records. Many thanks also to the Americana Music Association, Michelle Rose, Zach Altimer and Soundstage Studios for hosting us for this Shiro's interview. Shiro's is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. We get production assistance from Emma Philippos. Our original theme music is by Lucius. Shiro's is also a nationally syndicated radio show. Visit shirosradio.com to find out more. Please do support our work. I've got Patreon. I've got merch. Check that all out in the Shiro's shop and keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at Carmel Holt or at Shiro's Radio. And also leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us grow and bring you more of your favorite Shiro's. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks so much for listening. Took it to the